just whilst you're getting your uh, teas and coffee, I thought I'd update you on our house group status. Jan, Jan and I were part of the Kintor house group, I can't even think for how many years. Immense years. And we were mightily blessed. We, we don't like using the term thrown out of it, but um, it became obvious that with the church starting here that uh, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it could be slightly different if you went to the small group and didn't come, come here. But in the last few months, after how many years out of it, I don't know, uh, Janet and I have actually started going to another small group now. I did actually, I did tell Colin and I did tell Lindsay when I saw her last week. So we are officially, is, is divorce the right word for a small group? No. We have officially separated now from Kintor. But I love Kintor. And even this morning, just as I was getting my Bible out, I've transferred a little sticky here. Exhibit A, and in there I have four scriptures that I felt the Lord has quickened on my heart. And I'm just excited what God is doing. I hope I'm allowed to say so. I'm so excited about Harley and Liz and their three children coming here. I, I don't know why I've hardly ever met the guy, but I love him already. <laughs> he just seems a great, great, great guy. So, life in the Spirit, hallelujah. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's pretty confusing, isn't it? That's pretty confusing. I've always found it confusing, but I remember Jesus told his disciples, you should be pleased I'm going away, because that means the Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit. And for me, the Spirit is a person, is God. And that somehow communes on a personal level with us on a day-by-day basis. So, so I didn't know this, this was what's going to come up today, but I'm kind of very pleased because for me, I'm not sure I could walk the Christian life without the Holy Spirit at work in me. I think it would be basically just too hard, is my conclusion. So I really need, this is, this is, this is really what I need. And um, Romans is a big long book, and even chapter 8, there's an awful lot in each, each sort of sentence. So I was just going to narrow it down just to one verse in Romans 8. And it's uh, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So for me, and I'd be interested in a little bit of response here. For me, my main battleground is in my head would other people identify with that even though I maybe would know the scriptures or whatever it's amazing what can go on in your head and that's really what I want to look at and the battleground 
it's, it's to do with our own nature, our own sinful nature pulling us one way and the Spirit of God trying to take us another way. And for me, I might be too dense by even tr- struggle to work out what sin is, okay? <laughs> I'm okay with the kind of black and white stuff, okay? Just do not commit murder. I can... Yep, I didn't. Okay, so I'm... that's good. But even some of the other ones, you know, like do not steal. I'm pretty sure I didn't go anywhere and actually steal something, but there can be some sort of shades of grey in that one. Do not commit adultery. Yep, I haven't committed adultery. That's okay. But then there's some shades of grey. And even Jesus sort of, for me, kind of made it harder. Because in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. <laughs> Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery within the heart. Okay. And then, you have to excuse my sense of humour, but I'll use the term James piles on the pressure here by telling us in uh, James 4, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Help. And then, to be honest, in Romans helps me, this kind of summarises everything. Romans 14 says, if you do anything, you believe it is not right, you are sinning. And for me, a good summary, because this is how my natural mind works. If you give me a set of rules, I will devote a lot of time to working out how to get around them. Is my <laughs> it works at work. Do you know what I mean? I almost love it when my boss tells me exactly what to do, because I'll do exactly what he's told me, and nothing extra, nothing less, and I'll devote a lot of time to, to working out how to get around exactly what he said. And you know, it's, um, it, it's am I the only one whose mind works like that? I'm a little worried. <laughs> yeah, so. Might as well just being honest here. But there's, there's something about rules, you get the idea, well if I obey the rule I've kind of done it all. And that really kind of wasn't what was on God's heart. It was to get some precepts, some statutes. But what he has always wanted is us and our hearts. And the bottom line is he's always really just wanted us to do what he asks of us. It really is as simple as that, but it's also as difficult as that. I find it interesting, so I'm, I'm going to go right to the start of Romans in chapter 1, verse 20. I, it says in verse 20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. And I just, I just love that. And, and I would say it's true from the people I meet. Most people can work out there is a God. They really can. Um, they might not understand 
what that God is or what it looks like. But most people, when they take time to reflect, can actually work out that this world, us as people, this isn't just some weird accident going on, that there is a hand of something bigger than us at work. And then it kind of goes on, Romans. Uh, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And then I'm reading on from verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So for me, those words are a good description of the nat natural world that I was born into. It's kind of quite a good description of my natural disposition before I got saved. And Paul tells us that that sort of um, seed in our life still has some influence over us. It can still pull us in a certain direction. And Paul goes on to explain through Romans how he chose the people and he gave them his laws. So we heard already that people just in their own conscience can actually work out what's right and wrong. But God chose the people, he actually spelled out his laws. And Paul was a, a Pharisee, is that right? Yep, he was a Pharisee. So he, he was trained in all these laws, he was especially good at keeping them. But a little bit just before um, Romans 8, just the Romans 7, he said, But there is another power within me that is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And so for me, it's interesting to see that even someone like Paul, so kind of steeped in all the Jewish laws, all the laws that Moses gave, he could still feel this wrestling going on. And he needed someone to save him from all that. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So I just need to check. Do people feel that tension? 
Yeah. It still surprises me that it can just pop out of nowhere. I would say, I'm looking at all your lovely faces, you look like good people to me, so I'm sure you kind of mostly want to do good things. Yet there's still something that can pull us in a different direction. And I'm, I'm convinced now that our thought life is the primary battleground. And I would say, if you don't notice a battle going on in your mind, then that's something to be a little bit alarmed about. So do people know C.S. Lewis, the, the author who wrote uh, Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia? He also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is, a, is letters from a senior devil to a junior devil. And this is what he said in one of those letters. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And that's one of those, you know, uh, something that stuck with me. In that if you don't notice there's a battle going on, you can just slowly start to drift down a certain path. And to be honest, it all seems fine. No problems here. There's nothing dramatic going on. You're just making small choices and to be honest you don't even realize that you're heading off in a certain direction in james chapter 1 14 it says temptation comes from our own desires which entice us away and drag us away these desires give birth to simple actions and when his sin is allowed to grow he gives birth to death and for me, this helps me because it, it, it was talking about how life and death all going on in our minds. And this is how I see it in James, that the reality is I don't think we can actually stop bad thoughts coming into our mind. If, if you're hoping that you'll never get a bad thought in your mind, I would say that's probably un realistic because they, they can just pop out from nowhere, just completely random. Where the problem is, is if you start to get similar thoughts or repeating thoughts coming into your mind, and if you're not careful, you can start to think about these thoughts, you can start to sort of be thinking about them a lot, meditating on them. You can do some research into them, those ones. And then you can start to look to find people who maybe think, think like you or have had this similar thoughts and start talking about it. And then you might end up taking some sort of action based on these thoughts. It can often be that there's no immediate consequences, so you just carry on and you get more and more brazen. 
And then a phrase that's used in the Bible, you lose all constraint. So basically you can't give in to what are those thoughts, that place. It's something that took me a long, long while to realise this, this can be a long game. It doesn't have to be a, sh- a short game. This could be something that can happen over weeks, over months, over years. And really it's just a battle to try and get you away from life and on, on a road that leads to, to a bad place. Something else I feel is don't kid yourself that this could never happen to you. It's something I tell myself. Uh, I, I, I remember it's, it's just, I remember Dominic sharing and he, he was almost alluding to the fact that he feels like he's facing new kind of temptations now he's reaching a certain stage in his life compared to ones he did. So, so it's, it'd be nice to think that it's just young people who have got all sort this stuff out. But the truth is that even as we get slightly more mature, there's just different things. And there's always something that will drag us away. The other thing that I've had to work out is in my natural mind, uh, I don't want to, I want to find a way out of these rules to start with. And then I'd like to find just like a truce. Kind of like, well, if I keep these ones, maybe it's okay if I break those ones. And then this one's kind of really bad. That's not so bad. But basically, I don't think there's a truce to be found. For, for me, the Christian walk is more like walking up a Munro than on a straight path. There's always stuff trying to pull you down, so you have to be heading upwards. And the sort of uh, weapons we have is we need the word of, word of God. And again, James 1 verse 21, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. And, and I think sometimes thoughts that come into your head can be very subtle. And I honestly can't actually work out what's right and wrong, but that's where you kind of need the Word of God to shine that light. Sharp, two-edged sword, really help you see clearly what's, what's right and wrong. And the other thing is, we don't just do it in our own strength. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, For God is working in you through the Holy Spirit, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So, um, in my kind of Christian, Christian walk, uh, when, when I first got saved, I was in a church where it was very much Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's have some good praise and worship. Whatever. Yeah, let's say now read the odd uh, bit of the Bible, whatever. Uh, which is fun, but y- you need that Word of God to discern the truth, and then you need the Holy Spirit to come and help apply it. So. Uh, if I'm honest, I, 
because of, because of our background, it's quite interesting for Janet and I that we ended up in a Baptist church. Okay. But we really like it because it's good. The word of, you need the word of God to discern the truth and understand the truth. And then the Holy Spirit comes and helps you apply it. And it's a good balance. So my reflections would be, you need the word of God, okay, because sometimes lies, deceit can be ever so subtle. And, and the reality is you only need to go off course a little tiny bit and down the road you can end up a long way off the mark. You can't stop weird thoughts coming into your mind, but to be honest, the best time is to deal with them when they first arrive, if you can. If you start to get a pattern of thinking, so you start meditating, then you need to identify that it's a kind of problem that you want to sort out. And, you know, maybe that would involve sharing, getting someone else to stand with you and pray. But they can kind of come together and they can become like a, a stronghold in your mind. And, and that can apply, it just isn't to kind of sinful, bad stuff. But it can apply to anything that's against the Word of God. God tells us that we don't need to be afraid. But thoughts can come into your mind, fearful thoughts. And they can become a stronghold. Even though it goes directly against the Word of God. So there's things like that. For me, another important thing in this battle is faith. Because sometimes when you've been enticed by something and the Holy Spirit, it takes faith to trust that going God's way is actually going to be the best way for your life. It's not always obvious. Because sometimes God can take you away which doesn't exactly appeal to you, doesn't seem like a good idea to you. So it takes a measure of faith to follow it. And in that Philippians verse, faith says that the Holy Spirit can actually change my desires. And that can almost seem impossible sometimes. But I think the truth of it is God can actually change us that there's things that we used to really want we really were desperate to have in our lives. But God can actually work in us so that somehow those things don't become as important anymore. Faith says that the power, power of ungodly forces in your life can be broken. And faith says pleasing Him is enough for me. I don't actually need whatever it is that entices you. So something I've, uh, as you approach slightly more mature years, you actually have to understand that there's maybe some hopes and dreams that you're just going to have to let go of. You just accept that they're just not going to happen. And you just have to accept that that's just, just what it is and it's not right just to keep going after certain things.
So the Holy Spirit, what does that Holy Spirit, what does it really feel like to live in, live in the Spirit? So I've got three bits of scripture that describes how the Spirit came on different peoples. The first is Gideon in Judges 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. So I like that image, that sense of you feel like you put on a suit or something, and you feel God clothing you with power. In Isaiah 32, 15, it says, Until at last the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven. So another nice image for me is that we're kind of like a clay pot that God can pour, pour into a fragile, nothing very precious clay pot, but God can pour himself into us. And then in Acts, uh, 1 verse 5 it talks about John baptized with water but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit so baptized is where you kind of get submerged in something so that's a kind of another image of what it's like to walk in the Spirit so I, I, I conclude it it's kind of feels different to different people, so, <laughs> so there's not much point uh, making a dogma out of any particular way, but it's somehow, but I guess it's nice, it's a wonderful thing if you can actually sense God's Spirit at work in your life in some way or another. So he clothes us with power, pours himself into our lives. We become immersed in Him. And for me, I've just tasted a little tiny bit of what it's like to have uh, the Holy Spirit at work in my life. But the taste is enough to know that that's kind of more important to me than some of the sinful things that would entice me. So I absolutely hate it when I feel God's presence lift off me. I, I genuinely hate it, okay, because I just don't like that sense. I want that sense of closeness, that sense of being forgiven, that sense of acceptance. And for me that helps in this battle of the mind because I've got a firm decision there. <laughs> Presence of God, yes please. Some enticing thing. Yeah, it might be enticing, but I don't want to lose this. And, it, and for me, it makes it a much more positive thing then. Because you're just enjoying something. But then in the terms of the whole sin thing, the kind of thing I've noticed is, uh, uh, like I was sharing earlier in my head, I have this ranking of different sins, okay, murder, pretty bad, whatever, I don't know how we want to rank them. Uh, what I do notice in my own life is that um, God doesn't seem to have this ranking going on, and I'm surprised 
at things that I think are small, but God seems to think are big. Uh, I guess I should just learn not to have this argument with God. But basically, if God says it's important, it's important, whatever your personal opinion about the level of sin involved. Okay. I also find comparing myself with other people doesn't really help much. You know, why are you picking on me, God? Look, there's a whole... Look at him over there or her over there. Can't you have much more interesting stuff for you to be focusing on? Doesn't work either. It's really, it's just between you and God. And if he has said something in your life and you kind of know it's true and you know that your thinking isn't right, then just like we were saying in Romans, it's basically sin and it needs something to do. So this, this, would be, this would be an example for me, honesty, truthfulness, okay. So in my natural, I, I would fully support being honest and truthful, okay. But in the natural, I'm kind of comfortable with a sort of different shades. Definitely more truthful than untruthful. <laughs> but sort of shades of grey, a kind of truthful picture. And I heard someone, this, this is, I'm, I'm an engineer, but someone explained to me that the word integrity comes from the word integer, which means just exactly, if you say number one, it's exactly number one. And I, I, I work with quite a lot of probabilistic stuff. So a lot of things, there's like a curve, it's most likely to be one, but it could be 1.3 or. 0.7, that kind of thing. And that just spoke to me in, in the area of, of honesty and truthfulness. Yeah, it should be more like an integer than one of these large sort of spectrums where the biggest chance is it's pretty truthful, but there might be a little bit of a chance that there's some not so truthful bits in it. The other one that I'm surprised at, but I, I'm twigging on, is God expects you to keep your promises. If I'm honest with you, I, it, it, surprises, it surprises me. There, there's a story which surprises me in Judges, a leader of Israel called Jephthah. He made a vow that basically said he was going to kill the first thing he saw when he came home from fighting, and it was his daughter. So in my head I thought the story should go something like, and God told him off, and you know, whatever, and the daughter was fine, but that wasn't the end of that story. The daughter went off for a couple of months to have a bit of dancing around the mountains, and then she was killed to keep the vow. So that's another one that, um, yeah, so, so I would hope, and I think I am, I'm ever so, ever so careful about making a promise. I'll use the term, <laughs> you can trust this in me, I'll do, I'll, you can, I'll use the term like I will do my best, or I'll give it a go, or whatever. But I would be ever so careful to say I promise to do something because honestly, if I say it, 
I feel like uh, I basically have to do it, whatever it basically costs. So life in the spirit. So for me, it's climbing up a mountain. I don't think you ever get to the place where you've had too much of the Spirit of God at work in your life. And I love the description of Stephen in Acts of the Apostles. This a Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs amongst the people. And for me that's a kind of goal life in the spirit. A man, a woman full of God's grace and power. For me that's something to aspire to. And I'm getting more convinced it's not like an unreachable goal. There's different measures, different depths, but it's something that we can attain to. But the starting point is the battle in our mind. Are we going to have faith to trust that God knows and wants what's best for us as we treasure the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and are quick to take action if we become aware of anything that is getting in the way of us receiving all that God has for us? Amen. So I'm just going to pray if that's all right. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray. I have absolutely no idea what, how you know or relate to the Holy Spirit. But I know all of us can have a new depth, a new experience, and that's, that's how I want to pray for me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you in this place. We know, Jesus, that your death paid the price for us and we being redeemed. But we really do need help to leave behind everything that would hold us back. And we really do want to walk in your ways, oh God. Spirit, we welcome you into our lives. We welcome you into our lives. Come and clothe us, fill us, baptize us. Help us to uh, know when your presence is around us. In Jesus' name, we ask.